thank you everybody for joining us today on the Miller Johnson Next Steps webinar series. Uh, today's topic is uh, right to work, uh, potential repeal, and kind of looking back at uh, how Michigan ended up with right to work legislation. And we have a uh, guest with us to start the discussion who's really well situated to talk to us about that, both currently and retrospectively. That person's Brian Callie. Uh, Brian is the current um, president and CEO of the Small Business Association of Michigan. He's um, also a board member of the um, Economic Club of Grand Rapids. And uh, those who follow Michigan politics will know Brian was Lieutenant Governor of the state of Michigan during um, the Snyder administration for eight years. What a time it was to be involved. I mean, my first, uh, my first elected office was uh, started in 2003 as a county commissioner in Ione County, West Michigan, where I still live today. And it's uh, it really kind of started off a um, a, a time and in, an in, in involvement in politics and one of the most dynamic, fast changing. Uh, time periods in, in Michigan's history, uh, from the cratering that happened in 2008 and nine to the, you know, the, the second decade of the century that was really mostly about growth. And then, of course, now in this, um, the pandemic and, and near term post pandemic era, um, I, I could never have imagined when I started my career the immense amount of change that would have happened in that short time span. If we could uh, briefly go back maybe 10, 11 years, um, I was sharing with you off offline before we began the interview that um, I'm, a, I'm raised in Michigan, but I was just moving back here um, after starting my legal career in, in 2012 and 13 when um, uh, Michigan's, you know, quote unquote, right to work uh, law was uh, passed. And I know there's an interesting history there. There's probably few people who could share some of that uh, history at a high level as well as you could. And yeah, Eric, I think it's it's actually particularly important to understand the why we things happened the way they did in the past because because uh, Michigan was was really on the mat uh, down and out. The uh, the state was the only state in the previous decade. So thinking about 2000. One through 2010, the only state that lost population. All 49 other states got bigger. Michigan got smaller. We're the state that really didn't come out of the 2002 recession. So 9-11 and then through 2002, the nation was in a recession. Michigan, of course, hit a recession at that time, but, uh, but, but stayed, you know, maybe not technically in a recession the entire, uh, rest of that decade, but, but pretty close and then created out worse than anybody else in, um, in, uh, 2008, eight and nine. So, uh, Michigan was in really, really bad shape. Uh, the state was deeply in debt, not, uh, not necessarily with bonds, but with, you know, pension debt and, un, um, and accrued liabilities. It was, it was, it was underwater. The, um, the state, Budget had gotten to a point when Rick Snyder and I took office. I think our first budget was somewhere around, uh, $46 billion, uh, just to, to comparison's sake. Um, the, uh, the proposed budget for the, uh, for the coming fiscal year, 79 billion. So to give you a, a sense of the scale, the scope of change during that time period, 
but big changes had to happen. So the, the budget had to be balanced. Long-term debt had to get under control. We needed the economy growing again. We needed to have jobs uh, for, for people. And a different philosophy was used, kind of moving away from the, the targeted incentive game and just going to creating a, a, an environment of success across the board. Right to work was one of those policies in the first two years of the Snyder administration that was pretty pivotal in setting the course for the next 10 years of growth in the state. It's not, I wouldn't hold it up as the one thing that made the difference. It was one of the things that made a big difference in, uh, in Michigan. Scrap the old tax code, uh, the old Michigan business tax. And that was something that, that helped, uh, the home team by getting rid of the Michigan business tax. It helped businesses that were already here in our state and, um, and move to something much simpler um, going forward. There was a um, an effort to enshrine anti-right-to-work proposals in the Michigan Constitution in 2012. The voters voted that down uh, resoundingly. So uh, the idea of putting compulsory union membership in the Constitution was voted down by a wide margin. That was really the signal to the political system that the people of the state were ready to make we're ready to accept a, a right to work law. In other words, ready to make the choice on their own. They didn't want to, ha- to have to join a union as a condition of, uh, of employment, but rather, you know, if they can, anybody can organize and if you get the votes, uh, you get yourself, um, a, uh, a union and a local, but, um, but you can't say to any individual employee, you must join this union or else you may not have this job. And, uh, and so it, in a nutshell, that's what that's that's the the juxtaposition of right to work or not is whether or not people can make union membership a a, a condition of employment. Um, now the those who didn't want right to work to pass would would say, look, you know, those are free those are free riders. Like you got a, a place that's unionized, um, you can uh, and and so like the whole all the employees benefit from the work that the union does and getting a contract and paying benefits. And then here you got some employees that won't join the union and therefore, um, they're kind of riding on the coattails of the, uh, of the work that the union does. And that's really the, the, the policy battle is should, should the union have to earn the business of their membership, like inspire them to join and, and get them to proactively do it, be responsive enough to whatever their concerns are, their objections are to win them over or, should they be required to because the work the union does does um, uh, presumably would have some benefit across the entire uh, workforce? That's the argument. And uh, we came down on the side of uh, putting workers in the driver's seat that, uh, that that the best the best way to help workers and unions, by the way, is to say that uh, workers are in control and that unions needed to be responsive to them if they wanted to build their membership. And uh, there's been big changes uh, in, in unions. I would argue that unions are leaner and more effective today than they were before right to work. And um, and I don't think that would have happened if they weren't put in a position where they had to win over their members as opposed to holding over their heads. You can't have your job unless you're a member. With a right to work law, I'm going to maybe oversimplify this. I'm sure my colleagues will, will cringe, but... Um, if I, um, if I'm in a, uh, a shop and I know that's like kind of a loaded term in the labor and employment world where I'm allowed to not associate with the union, not pay union dues and not pay agency fees, 
to the union for sort of administrative stuff, but set aside political lobbying funds and things like that. There's still this, I guess, obligation if there's going to be a union in that workplace that that employee who's sort of opted out is still required to be covered by part of the the bargaining unit is sort of my corporate lawyer's understanding, I guess. Yeah. And that's, that's where yeah, I, you're right. But you're right about that. The way that you've described it is the, is the, uh, the condition that exists that um, if you're in the bargaining unit, you must be covered by the contract. And, um, and, but it is somewhat of a, having been, you know, in, in the room, if you will, uh, as these negotiations were hashed out the I, the free the reason why the the free rider argument has always um, to me looked more like a straw man argument is because um, I know that it was offered by the Snyder administration to uh, to uh, to have have it such that union contracts would not cover those who didn't join the union and um and the unions didn't want that they um they felt that that would actually further weaken their uh, position they would rather have the the employees in as uh, as opposed to out and i um i'm i don't really i can't say that i know exactly why uh they they wanted they chose if given the option they chose the uh free rider um uh option that somebody would benefit from the um the union agreement uh, but I could imagine uh, scenarios where people that don't join the union, you know, if they're standout or breakout employees and they um, and they make themselves invaluable, I could see them maybe doing better than the union contract and undercutting the work. You know, other employees look at it and see, wow, you know, if I was outside of the union contract and I'm just a high performer and I show up and I give uh, give 100 percent every day and um and I get, and then I get rewarded for it. But in the union contract, I can't get rewarded for it. The union contract, I've got the ceiling and I'm treated exactly like everybody else. So, um, so I think that's really kind of the, the untold story out here is that, um, that unions were offered in 2012 the, um, the option of, uh, of right to work legislation that did not require them to, uh, to represent or cover under the contracts employees who choose not to pay agency fees or become members of the union. What's your sense for the last 10 years? I know you alluded to this earlier, you know, right to work not being the only thing, you know, but is it, would it be inconsistent with what the state has done over the last 10 years and what I think it's still trying to do in terms of drawing employers to invest in the state to change the course on right to work? Yeah, I I think it would be a pretty big mistake in terms of attracting business in. It just sends a, a message, and particularly uh, foreign direct investment. The um, the phone wasn't ringing before right to work. I mean, it was a um, that sent a signal like we're just not even on the list at all. You say like, well, did Michigan compete and not win? No, never even made the list. To, you know, wasn't even invited to the game. I mean, that was a situation that Michigan was in before. And if you were to look at the, um, at the mega credits that were, um, that were paid in the previous tax code before to, um, to larger companies in Michigan, you'll see that Michigan had to pay through the nose just to keep what we had. 
I mean, that was just the environment here. And it was kind of like, you know, this is a really expensive, inconvenient, difficult place to operate. But if you put up with it, we'll pay, we'll pay you. You know, that was the economic development plan of the state. And, um, and so this idea of trying to, um, of trying to transform it to like just create an environment where people could be more successful, like across the board was where, um, you know, the economic eggs were put in that basket instead. And it was a big shift. Uh, with, in terms of evaluating right to work and, and like, does it, does it work? Does it make a difference? I know it's tempting to just say, you know, pick a, a, a right to work state and a non right to work state and compare them. The problem is when they became right to work states and all the other factors involved make it nearly impossible to isolate that one factor. What I think is more um, helpful to do is to look at an individual state before and after. And so take Michigan. I'm not an expert on other states. I just know in Michigan, take Michigan before and after 2012. Like I started out the broadcast with here that uh, there were a lot of changes that got made in that 2011, 2012 timeframe that made Michigan a more, um, uh, a more competitive and, and accommodating place to create jobs. And so jobs got created. Uh, so if you're to look at our state and what happened after that, uh, the, the way that personal income started rising a, again, the way that uh, unemployment uh, fell actually went below the national average. Right now, Michigan, and for the last, for most of the last 50 years, Michigan runs above the national average in, uh, in unemployment, but, but we actually fell below it for a while. A historically significant period uh, in, in Michigan's economic history uh, for that to have happened. We also saw, get this, we also saw our labor force participation rate go up. It was falling across the rest of the nation. It's falling again here in Michigan. Now we're back below the national average today. But during those years, those post-2012 years, we actually saw our labor force participation rate go up, even though our, our labor force um, was uh, was trending older. And that just meant there's so much opportunity in the in the marketplace that it was attracting more people. But the most important uh, factor, Eric, I think for Michigan's uh, uh, future and our overall community and economic health is that we went from a shrinking state to a growing state. Now, just modestly, just we were, we had modest growth in the, in, uh, in that decade, but we were the only state to shrink before. Um, and then we, we, uh, we not only stabilized that, but we did see some population growth during that decade. Um, but sadly today, um, that has trailed off too. Um, our demographics are working against us. It's, it's, uh, it's getting harder and harder to achieve, uh, growth. Um, it's going to take inbound migration, uh, to, uh, to really for our state to grow in the future. But if you look at that time period before and after, um, it doesn't matter which metric you look at, uh, Michigan not only improved, but markedly improved, like mm-hmm. substantially improved. I was looking at um, kind of polling and who whose views of labor unions um, are favorable, unfavorable. It's it's interesting, um, and I don't know. I'd have to go back to see if this has changed over time. But younger people seem to have a more positive view of the impact of unions on um, on how things are going in the country, according to Pew uh, Research. Do you think that the right to work legislation impacts whether people, younger people in particular, 
decide to stay or leave the state? Is any have you seen anything out there that would suggest that there's a relationship between those things? I, I haven't, and uh, I guess to be clear about it, I've not um, I've not even really seen that kind of directly asked of you know people who have moved from one jurisdiction to another. Um, why did you move? But one thing that I do know for sure is that uh, since 2020, Michigan has lost 43,000 people to outgoing migration. And the state that more of them went to than any other state in the country is, you could probably guess, Florida. So um, <clears throat> we're not, we are not losing to um, compulsory union states, the um, compulsory membership, uh, union membership states. Um, we are primarily uh, losing to, uh, uh, and, and I would, but here's the thing. I don't want to hold it up like I think people are moving. I'd be surprised if somebody moved to another state because, hey, what do their union laws say in that state? <laughs> sure. There probably aren't too many um, that would do that. But I know that our where we lose the biggest amount to is Florida. So there's like what's happening in Florida. We see, um, you know, Florida doesn't have an income tax uh, in, in that, uh, in that state. So I think they do attract some. There's been a lot of migration from New York to Florida. And I think that that has a pretty big impact. Michigan overall has a, um, has a competitive, uh, in, income tax. So while, um, obviously people would rather have zero than 4.25 or, you know, there's, it's under debate whether or not that might be decreased right now, but the, um, but that, uh, but, you know, I, I don't know that the income tax in Michigan is a, uh, you know, a, a, a huge driver, but, um, but I would say the evidence suggests that we are not primarily losing to, um, to states where union membership is compulsory as a condition of employment. There was a time period where, um, where when, especially before Detroit was, um, you know, it was kind of on that, on a comeback and a place where people wanted to be, um, where we did in the previous decade lose to, um, to Illinois, to Chicago in particular. But that was when Michigan had compulsory union membership. That was not, we, I, ironically, Eric, we, uh, there was a, um, we had net inbound migration after right to work from, uh, from Chicago. Uh, but again, I don't want to hold right to work where I think that that was the thing that drew people back. I think it was a growing economy that that was creating opportunity, particularly in uh, in West Michigan. But I think that that caught on across the state and places like uh, Traverse City and Marquette and Detroit uh, are just really exciting, vibrant places or uh, even places like, um, you know, like um, Midland and, uh, and uh, Frankenmuth, like that type of. That uh, part of the state as well, very dynamic, a lot of really um, great things that are, that have happened since then. And I, I think that's, that activity, positive activity is really what attracts people. Bills have been introduced in uh, the state legislature. Um, it seems extraordinarily unlikely that any version of a full repeal would get two thirds support. So even if something is passed, it wouldn't take effect. Um, I, I believe for 90 days after the end of the legislative session. So it would be sometime in early 2024, I guess, that if if this were to something changed in a law that didn't have two-thirds support in both chambers of the legislature, that the law would actually change. 
Um, so there's a pretty long runway, I guess, is my point, right, for discussion to happen around this. Um, there's a lot of issues, it seems like you've alluded to a few of them that this, I think there is bipartisan support for, um, the earned income tax credit. I don't know if there are other things that, that you think are worth calling, calling out as maybe items that the legislature might address before taking on right to work. There's a big tax reform, uh, package that, um, that it, it includes a bunch of things. And, um, I think that probably will, um, uh, kind of flesh out around party lines because it got other stuff got added in, but, um, but there's a, um, but I think that there is uh, a, a, a big thing that the state has to get done, which is, which is the budget. And that, um, you know, it's, there's been some talk of taking up right to work before the budget. I think tactically that would be a mistake for, uh, for the legislature and the governor to do because it'll just make, um, ironing out the, the details in the state's, uh, budget that much more difficult. Like battle lines will be drawn. Um, on the, um, uh, on repeal of right to work, it, it, I will be very surprised if it's not either completely or mostly uh, along, uh, party lines. Uh, the, the legislature and, um, you know, the two chambers in the legislature and the governor have been, um, have been either in Republican control or divided control since, uh, 1983. This is the first time since then that, um, that it, there's been one, one, the Democratic Party has had, um, the House and the Senate and the governor's office. So this is, um, I, I think repeal of right to work will be a priority. It's been a stated priority that has been laid out there. As you had mentioned, it would take, um, a while for it to go into effect because, um, when, uh, the legislature adjourns each, each year, sine die or adjourn without day, or that's like the final day of, of session, anything that doesn't, isn't granted quote immediate effect, um, takes effect 90 days after that adjournment. So it would be, you know, into first quarter of, um, of 2000, um, uh, into 2024 before it take effect. Now that's really only immediate effect is really only an issue in the Senate. In the House, they do it uh, by voice vote, and um, well, Speaker, I think I heard uh, two thirds. You know, like the Speaker can just declare that there's okay. two thirds; they don't have to have actual votes on it. So um, it's a procedural thing at, there in the House. It is in the Constitution, but traditionally, it's always been under Republicans and Democrats just a procedural thing, and it's really not taken seriously. In the Senate, it is absolutely taken seriously. It is a vote. On the board. And while they don't record the vote, who voted yes or no, they can, but they usually don't. Um, they still have to show that they have 26 out of 38 senators that are voting yes for immediate effect. That will not happen on right to work. Um, but if they do pass it, I think it probably will spur on, um, a, uh, a ballot initiative to, uh, to put, to enshrine right to work in the constitution. Uh, there are other states that have done that recently and, um, and I think uh, like Tennessee, for example, I think it was the most recent one, but, um, but I would expect that that, that would happen. Uh, so I think this, uh, kind of the future of right to work is going to have several iterations over the next couple of years. Um, but you know, if I were a betting person, I would say they're going to take it up and pass it if they can. If they do pass it, it won't get immediate effect. 
It would end up going into effect for private sector union workers only because uh, public sector is kind of out of the game now with uh, with the Supreme Court decision. And then um, and then uh, so between spring of 2024 and um, a ballot initiative at the end of 2024, um, potentially right right to work could be repealed. And then depending on how the ballot com- uh, comes out, um, maybe it'll be back, maybe it won't. So right. um, I think that people are going to hear a lot about right to work in the next year and a half. Do you see a, a, a compromise of any kind that realistically could come out on right to work that sort of makes that aligns with some of those other stated priorities um, by uh, Governor Whitmer and, and the leaders of, in the legislature? The only way I can see anything um, that the current leadership in this in state government, the only way I could see acceptance of anything less than a full repeal of right to work and a return to full compulsory union membership um, the uh, of, as condition of employment in, in places that are, are unionized um, is if they can't get the votes for a full repeal. I, I don't think there'll even be a discussion or a negotiation that is allowed to happen unless they can't get the votes. The um, This is one of those, it's a core, core political issue um, that uh, that you know, people on both sides of the spectrum kind of line up the way they line up, and um, and and because of that, it it makes it such there's there's really not a lot of debate. I mean, people are not persuadable on it, and um, there are a few nuances, but not enough to to make a, a negotiation around. I do think that if they repeal right to work, it probably will be the beginning of the end of the SOAR fund. Um, there are um, there are bipartisan uh, there is some bipartisan um, opposition to it. The you know the, there are Republicans that don't like the idea of targeted uh, tax incentives, and there are a lot of Democrats that don't like the idea of targeted tax incentives. It really this is one of those areas where people in the middle of the political spectrum on both sides of the aisle, um, you know, have looked at it even sometimes begrudgingly, saying, yeah, we might not like these things, but it's we got to be in it. We got to be in the game. We got to go after these deals. But I think that um, when by becoming right to work, it, it takes a lot of those, especially the more moderate Republicans are going to look at it and say, well, why would you turn up the heat just to open up the window? You know, if you're if you're going to if you're going to repeal right to work, then you're sending a message uh, to, to the to the marketplace. The cost of winning businesses is going to get a lot higher. We're not going to get a look at as many deals um, as, as before. And I, and I can tell you for sure, like we, we the pipeline was empty before uh, 2012 and uh, and it filled right up after that uh, in terms of like people looking at Michigan. So um, you, you'll very rarely hear a company say we won't go to a to a state that's that uh, that is right uh, that uh, doesn't have right to work. You just don't hear from them at all. Like they, they just you, it's just you, you never even got to look at the deal. It just went some other place. And um, and so I think it really puts us back in a in a um, in a in a position where um, those types of targeted tax incentives um, end up losing a lot of steam because the states kind of sent the message like we're just not in that game anymore. Before we go, I know that um, Small Business Association of Michigan recently did some some polling of your membership, small business owners. Um, some of which may relate to right to work, some of which, you know, may be tangential or sort of 
other issues. Could you give us kind of a, this just came out, so it was fresh information, I guess. Could you give us a little bit of an insight into what, what, what that looks like? We pull our membership uh, once a quarter, and it's mainly looking for economic trends. So we're asking how people are doing, uh, what's happening with, with, um, with wage trends, um, and benefit trends, sales trends, um, biggest, you know, pain points, um, you know, difficulty in hiring, um, all those sorts of things. So we're, we're asking mainly just looking for trends within the small business community and what's happening. We have 31,000 members. So, you know, our membership is, is, uh, is really, really big and, um, and representative, I think, of, uh, a second, especially second stage, uh, businesses. So, um, we also, from time to time, will ask them about issues. And, uh, we did that in the first survey of this year and asking about some issues that were up on the, um, on the table or likely to be up and considered this year. And right to work was one of those overwhelming support for leaving the law as it is today among small business owners. Um, not particularly surprising, but it was 74% in, in support and, um, uh, of leaving, uh, right to work and um, 16% supported repealing it. The rest were undecided. Um, there's uh, this is one of those issues where people you know, hear the phrase, but what exactly does it mean? So I think there is, but among business owners, most of them know what it means. The, um, and then uh, we also asked about prevailing wage. There's been some, some thought of uh, reinstatement of prevailing wage. And that was um, leaving the law as it is today uh, as opposed to reinstating uh, prevailing wage, which requires that anybody going after a government contract pay um, wages that match a survey of uh, union wages that the Department of Labor does and, and updates throughout the years. So, you know, if you want to bid on a job, you've got to kind of pay the wages in the in the surveys that they uh, that they do. And um, and small business owners did not re- uh, support going back to that as well. Most small businesses really don't segment the work that any and that people do. So it's like if you got a construction contract to build a building at a school, for example. Well, you'll have people that are doing some framing and um, and uh, and and maybe some uh, finished carpentry as well. Whereas on when it's prevailing wage, it has to be everything has to be segmented because there's a different wage for different functions. This is not how small businesses operate. So if you go to prevailing wage again, um, that's like a small businesses need not apply. Um, uh, type of a statement for, uh, for the government work. And, uh, so, uh, those are two issues that are kind of, I think, kind of in tandem, um, being considered for reversal going back to the pre, um, uh, the, the pre-Snyder administration days in terms of those, uh, policies that are likely to be, um, up. And, and I expect that they will be, um, part of the process this, uh, throughout this year. And we'll just have to see how it turns out. We are very grateful to you, Brian, for making yourself available, um, making uh, making uh, your time available to us, having a thoughtful discussion, because that's, um, you know, I think lawyers would say, you know, process is important and uh, talking about issues probably leads to a better result. So hopefully we can have some some good faith discussion uh, in Lansing on a lot of these issues and, and get to a spot that, you know, is is good for the state, sends the right signals to to others and, uh, you know, help support Michigan families and workers as well. I think we can do all those things um, if we kind of work together. But um, 
I know you're one of the the people who would uh, kind of take that approach, and uh, hopefully we'll have some others uh, at the table who who have the right mindset to to do the same. Thanks, Eric. It's been a pleasure. I'm flattered that you asked, and uh, hope that it was uh, there will be a value to community members and and uh, and businesses that are keyed into the topic.